0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, as we open your word today and find the the grounds for the vision that you have given this church, Lord, I pray that you would just ignite our hearts to pursue the God-sized vision that you have set before us. To see change take place, to see not only our church transformed, but our community transformed by the power of the gospel. Father, set our hearts on fire today. Give us a vision of the great things you have before us. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, we're going to look at uh, chapters 1 and 2. Yes, the whole, both of those chapters. Nehemiah 1 and 2. As we look at our five-year vision of where God will take us. William Carey is the father of Modern the modern missions movement once said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, and Carey uh, certainly lived out that statement. Carey William Carey had a vision, a God-sized vision for missions to attempt something that had not been done up to that point in, in history, at least in, in the modern era. Mary uh, Carrie had a, a vision to take the gospel to what they considered to be the heathen nations those civilizations that were not as developed as England and America. They wanted to take it to the tribes of, of India and Africa. And Cary and had a great vision to go out and take the gospel to the nations, to see every tribe and tongue and nation transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Cary w- took out, and he moved, he and his family, to Burma, India, And began to work with the people there. And the work that he did in Burma inspired other missionaries, both in Great Britain and in America, to go out and engage the nations. And what he did still affects missions that we accomplish even today. He expected great things from God. And he attempted great things for God. Church, if we want to accomplish a God-sized vision, we must expect great things from God, and we must attempt great things for God. So our mission for the next five years, just in a summary statement, is this. In the next five years, First Bastrop desires to see hundreds of families in our community and church transformed by the power of the gospel through the revitalization of our church and its ministries. We me say that again. In the next five years, First Bastrop desires to see hundreds of families in our community and church transformed by the gospel through the revitalization of our church and its ministries. Now, in a moment, we're going to work through that more in detail, But before we get there, I want to to dig into God's Word and kind of set the groundwork for the foundation for that vision. Why it is important for us to have a God-sized vision. So we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. And we're going to see here five key steps to accomplishing a God-sized vision. Five key steps to accomplishing a God-sized vision. And then I'm going to lay out our vision for you, our, our full vision for the next five years in hopes that it will inflame our hearts, ignite our hearts to, to pursue what God has before us and to live out the mission to love God, love one another, and love our world. So as we look then this morning uh, at our, 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 our steps to a God-sized vision, uh, let me kind of lay the context here for you for or a little bit. Nehemiah is taking place, this is uh, after the exile, so after Israel has been taken into exile by the Babylonians. Then Babylonia, the Babylonian empire was conquered by the Medo-Persians, and now the Medo-Persians are in charge, and the king of the Medo-Persian empire has allowed some of the exiles of Israel to go back to Israel and begin to rebuild. And so Nehemiah, he is cupbearer to the king, And he finds out some information that is kind of disheartening. And he wants to do something about it. He sees the nation of Israel in distress and living in shame. And God gives him a God-sized vision to change that. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at his God-sized vision, which will give us the grounds for our God-sized vision. So five key steps to accomplishing a God-sized vision. And we're going to work through it slow uh, piece by piece instead of reading all two chapters at one time. But let's start by reading chapter one. Look with me there, Nehemiah chapter one. The word of the Lord to of the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Cheslev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani. Uh, One of my brothers came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the providence who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and and its gates are destroyed by fire." As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants, and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand O lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man now i was cupbearer to the king well as nehemiah finds out this 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 message he hears this message from judah and from jerusalem the walls are torn down they're still in rubble the the gates of the city have been burned and the city of jerusalem is living in shame now you have to understand in that period in time uh having no walls around your city that was cause for shame because you were defenseless against the, the, the evils of the world that might come and try to, to conquer you and steal from you and kill you. You were not able even to take care of yourself. And so the walls of Jerusalem were torn down. The, the gates had been burned, and the people there, the people of God, were living in shame. And so, Nehemiah captures a God-sized vision to change that. And as we look at that, we see here, first of all, the first step to accomplish a God-sized vision is that we must first define the gospel-centered objective. We must define the gospel-centered objective. First of all, Nehemiah, he defines the problem. He identifies the problem. The walls are torn down, and the people of God are living in shame. And then he looks to what he must do to, to change that. He identifies the why, right? He identifies the why of why he needs to change that. And if we want to see a, a, capture a God-sized vision and accomplish a God-sized vision, we must identify the problem. We've got to identify the solution to that problem, and then we've got to come up with why. Why is it so important to accomplish that vision? Nehemiah found his why in the gospel. Let me show that to you in verses 8 through 10. Look what he says there as he's praying this prayer to God. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But... But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there, even there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. You see, as as Nehemiah is praying to God, he is relying on the promise of God to his people. This is a people who has been redeemed by God. And this redeemed people, they're living in shame. This is the community of God that is supposed to be the witness to the world of God's redeeming grace, and they are living in shame. They're not able to be a witness of God's grace and His redeeming grace because they're in shame. Their walls are broken down. The gates are burned. and They are not a witness. The, w- the world looks at Jerusalem and they see shame instead of rejoicing in God's redeeming grace. And Nehemiah says, God, remember your promise. Remember your redeeming promise to your people. Let us be a new community, a revitalized community, to be the witness that you have made us to be in the world of your redeeming grace. Dear church, as we think about the future of where God is leading us, we must look at the problem. Our walls are torn down, our gates are burned. And we need to be revitalized. We need new life and vitality so that we can go out and be a witness to the world of God's redeeming grace. We have to define our gospel-centered objective. The revitalized community revitalize the community of God. We have to revitalize the community of God in order to declare God's redeeming love and grace to our world. The second step to accomplishing a God-sized vision is, of course, prayer. Pray for God's power. Pray for God's power. Nehemiah, that's the first place that he goes to, right? Right? As soon as he hears the word, as as soon as he identifies the problem, he, he doesn't immediately start changing things. He doesn't immediately form a plan. He immediately goes to his knees, and he fasts, and he prays day and night, going to God. And how does he pray? Number one, he confesses his own sin and the sin of the nation He confesses their sin. He goes to God and says, Look, God, we messed up. We haven't been following your way. You told us what to do, and we departed from that way. So you fulfilled your promise, and you scattered us because of our sin and our rebellion. But Lord, you also promised us that if we repent and turn to you, you will gather us again. You will reestablish us. So he prays, and he confesses their sin, and then he appeals to God's promise. This is what you said. If we just turn to you and and trust in you, look what you said you would do. Lord, remember your promise. Dear friends, we've got to turn to God. If we want to see new life and vitality, Or out to first Bastrop. If we want to see change in our community, we must first go to our knees praying to God. Lord, we confess we haven't been accomplishing the mission you have given to us to accomplish. But Lord, we repent. We are going to get on track, and by your power, we'll accomplish great things. Remember your promise. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to pray for God's power if we want to accomplish a God-sized vision. Third, after we define the gospel-centered objective, after we pray for God's power, third, we must make an organized plan. We must make an organized plan. Moving on to chapter 2. Let's read chapter 2, 1 through 8. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of, of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not, I had not been sad in, the, in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are, your, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I might, may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the providence beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for. Uh, what I asked for, the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah here begins to make the plan. He had he had defined his objective. He had prayed to God. Now he begins to develop the plan. Here's what needs to be done. Here's what needs to be accomplished. And as he begins to do that, he, he first of all, he has to set the, the parameters of the plan, right? He has to set the parameter. In other words, he has to, to set the time frame. The king asked him, how long will you be gone? How long will this take? And so he has to, to lay out the time frame. Now, he doesn't tell us what that time frame is, but it was quite a while. But he laid out his time frame. And once he had laid out his time frame, then it had to be funded, right? He had to fund it. And so he appeals to the king. Let, let, let this letter go with me so that I can get timber and the supplies that I need to do the job at hand. You know, as we look ahead to the plan that God has before us, the the, the vision that God has set before us. It has a time frame. For us, we have said it for five years because we, we need to, to do it now. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But, but there's the time frame. It's, it's five years. We want to see something accomplished in five years. And, and once we have that time frame laid out, once we have the plan laid out, then we've got to fund it. That means we're going to have to redirect funds from other things to, to focus in on, on things that God wants us to accomplish It also means that we may have to dig a little deeper from time to time to help bring the church back up to where it needs to be so that we can accomplish the mission that God has given us to accomplish. We must make an organized plan. Number four, we must activate the plan. Fourth, we must activate the plan. Look there at the last section, 9 through 20. Then I came to the governor of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me official officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then I rose, arose in the night, and I and a, a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the, uh, the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the wall of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had. What I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also for the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us, And despised us, and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Here we see that Nehemiah he activates the plan he activates the plan. He first he goes out and he evaluates the situation. He couldn't evaluate the situation when he was uh, in Susa, but now he's in Jerusalem and he goes out and he evaluates the situation. He sees the 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 situation with the walls, how bad they truly are. He evaluates the situation and begins to develop his plan even more. And then as he he evaluates the plan and figures out just exactly what he must do, then he casts the vision. He begins to cast the vision. Why should we remain in derision? Let us rebuild the walls. And it ignites the people of Jerusalem. And they begin to prepare to build the walls and reestablish the city of God's people. And once they establish that, once they begin to to get fired up over it, then they go out and they get to work. They go out and they get to work. They don't just sit around and, and wait for it to happen, right? They go out, they get their hands dirty, they begin to rebuild the walls. They activate the plan. So we define the gospel-centered objective. We pray for God's power. We make an organized plan. We activate the plan. And then fifth, we must prepare for resistance. We must prepare for resistance. Just like uh, Tobiah and all of his buddies there, they resisted. When God's people get busy about God's work, the world will resist. Satan doesn't like it. He wants to put an end to it. He wants to snuff it out. So, dear friends, I want to tell you, when we get busy doing God's work, you better get ready because resistance is coming. Satan's going to throw every uh, uh, obstacle in our way that he can possibly throw in our way. There'll be conflict rise within the church, and there'll be conflict coming from without the church. Prepare for resistance because it will come. When William Carey first addressed the Baptist Association of his day and announced his God-sized vision to reach the nations, one of the leaders in that association stood up and told Carey, Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. There was resistance. But that didn't hamper carry. He marched on because it was a God vision. It was a God dream. And God blessed his vision. God blessed his work as he went forward doing the work that God had laid before him. Dear friend, as we look ahead to the next five years, we got to get to work. There's work to be done. There's things that must be accomplished. If you look on the backside of your notes there, you see the, the paragraph of our vision. In the next five years, First Bastrop desires to see hundreds of families in our community and church transformed by the gospel through the revitalization of our church and its ministries. We live in a community of fractured families which contributes to a higher crime rate, drug addiction, and poor school performance. Therefore, it is imperative that we root families in the knowledge of God's love and His Word, root them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as a church can strengthen one family at a time through vibrant ministries and community outreach. Although we have been in a state of decline without outdated facilities and ministries, we will revitalize our church to help families grow by creating a family-friendly environment and vital Christ-centered ministries. As a result, we will see First Bastrop grow to over 300 in average attendance and more than 20 life groups engaging our community in gospel-centered service we will live out our mission to love God, love one another, and love our world through a spirit of service to God and others. As we look at our community, we see our community struggling. We see a community that is broken down. Bastrop, Morehouse, Paris, we are struggling. We know that. And it's not because the mill left. Right, That's just one problem, but that's a small problem. And we as a church, we can't change our community. We can't bring in industry. That's not what God has brought us here to do. Now, as individuals, we can go out and work in our community and and help to bring things like that in. But God has given us a mission to transform our community in a more powerful way. We can see Bastrop change and transform by taking the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the families that live all around us. The gospel can do far more than in any industry coming in can do to our, our community. I remember the, the great revival, the first great revival that took place started in Wales. In Wales, during the time before the Great Revival, Wales was just, I mean, it it was a heathen place. I mean, it was just, it was terrible. There were drunks laying out in the streets, and and crime was at its all-time high. But man, when the gospel took a hold of Wales, and the Great Awakening began to spread over the nation of Wales, oh, it changed the the, the whole landscape the moral landscape of the whole nation. There's reports that, that uh, police officers had so little to do that many of them began to, to develop like uh, little, little barbershop quartets and they would sing out on the street corners because there was no crime to be punished. All the saloons had, had died down. They were going out of business because no one was going in to get drunk anymore. The nation was changed, not by industry, not by any of the other worldly things that we might think of. The the nation was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the most transformative power in the world, in the gospel. We just got to get busy taking it to our nation, to our people in our community. When we begin to see families focusing on families and seeing whole families transformed by the gospel, what an impact we'll make. If we just trust in the power of God and do what he has called us to do and take the gospel to the nations starting with our community in Bastrop and Morehouse Parish, we can see families Transformed. By the power of God. That's what He wants us to do. We got to break out of these walls and we got to get out in the community. We got to affect families, transform families through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you, church, if we're going to do that, it's going to require us to change some things here at home first. It's going to take some. It's going to require us to change some things in the the body of Christ here first. We've got to see new life and vitality, a revitalization of our church and her ministries here at home. When we look at our our look at First Bastrop and think about First Bastrop, First Bastrop has a, a long history here in. Bastrop in Morehouse Parish we've been uh, we've been a light of the gospel in Morehouse Parish for over 160 years this is actually our third building it started in a little wood building somewhere I don't even know where and of course many of you remember or some of you remember the the old building off on uh, what's that South Jefferson Uh, and, and then we moved here And God has blessed First Bastrop over the years, and 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 some of you remember First Bastrop at at its highest point, right? You've seen it grow. You remember 300 and 400 in attendance. But over the course of the last decade, even more than the last decade, First Bastrop has been in a state of decline. See the chart here? You can see on the chart. Now, I know you can't read the numbers. Uh, their numbers are too small. But you can see the lines of the chart, right? Back in 19, or 2001, this is going from 2001 to 2018, so a little over a decade here. From 2001, we were running about 300. Then there was a spike up in 2002 to 350. But then after that, what happens? Steady decline. Oh there was a year or two that it had its spikes but but the whole trajectory over the last decade has been decline. We've been slinking deeper and deeper and lower and lower and lower. And I want to tell you church, here's the problem. If we if all things remain the same if all things remain the same, if we continue to the trajectory that we have been on for the last decade and in the next decade, we will no longer be here. This building will be empty. No more. The light of First bastard will be extinguished. I don't want to see that happen. I want to turn that line around. I want to turn that trajectory around. I want us to go back up. I want us to see great days again. But it's going to require us to make some changes, and changes hurt. They always hurt. I don't like change. You don't like change. Nobody likes change. And when we begin to change things around, we don't like it. But dear friend, if we don't change, the end is death. The end is the light of First Bastrop and Morehouse Parish is extinguished and we are no more. I don't want that to be our legacy. That we were the ones who let First Bastrop light go out. We're going to change things. That means we've got to update some things, we've got to update some things in our facilities. We've got to bring some things around. I mean, we've got some lovely facilities here, but let's be honest, we've become comfortable with many of the things here. This is home to us. We don't see so many of the things that first-time guests, when they come here, they notice. Like signage that is 50 years out of date. Like uh, carpet that's completely stained up in the upstairs room, and some of it even thread-barren carpet we don't notice that because we love the place. But when new families come in, they see that and they say, "This place, these people don't really love God. If they really love God, then they would take care of God's house. We've got to make some changes. We've got to make an, build an atmosphere here where, where young families want to come and, and, and invest and, and grow their, their children, raise their children here. We've got to make some changes. We've got to look at our ministries across the board, and we've already been doing this. We've already been updating many of our ministries, and we're continuing that. We're continuing to revamp our ministries to make them vital and Christ-centered. We've got to continue that work. And as we begin to revitalize our church and all of its ministries, what are we going to see? We're going to see God do wonderful things. As we begin to to take the focus off of us and begin to go out into our community and and minister to our community and actively engage the families of our community in family centered and family focused outreach, we're going to see God do wonderful things. We're going to see baptisms grow. Oh, I hope to see the day that we never empty the baptism, the baptistry that we see the baptisms grow, that we see membership grow, that we see active attendance grow. Because we're faithful to reach out to our community, to love our community, to invite our community in so that we might see the lost come to know Jesus Christ and have the hope of eternal life in Him. Oh, church, are you ready? Do you want to see the church grow back to, to, to the glory days? Do you want to see this church filled to 300-plus in average attendance? We've got to get busy. We've got to get to work. We've got to go out and accomplish things for God. You see there, are four milestones. In the next three years, these are are just milestones that we we feel like we need to accomplish even in the next three years so that we can see that five-year goal accomplished. First of all, revitalized, revitalized infrastructure. That's revitalizing our facilities and our ministries. That's first and foremost on the list. Then we want to increase leadership capacity. We will increase our leadership capacity for future Multiplication. We will sustain 10% involvement growth across all ministries with 20% increase of our leadership core. We're going to develop a leadership pipeline to begin to develop and, and grow leaders within our church, which we are hurting for. We still have vacancies in the children's departments because people won't step up and take that role on but we've got to develop leaders before we can put them in those positions. We've got to see family-oriented community outreach. We will develop and maintain a comprehensive community outreach strategy that will target the entire family in our local community, our region, and our world. We've got to target not just individuals, but their whole families. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, isn't it? When Peter goes to Cornelius, yes, he's going to Cornelius, but what happens? The whole family comes to know Jesus. When Paul takes the gospel to the Philippian, uh, the Philippian jailer, what happens? The whole family comes to know Jesus. We've got to target the whole family. From grandma and grandpa to mama and daddy right down to the little baby, we've got to target the whole family to see families transformed by the gospel. And number four, we have to have transformed communication strategy. We will transform our uh, how we communicate to be simple, social, system-based, and vision-saturated. We've got to communicate with the, our community and the way our community, our community receives communication. And it's not through the newspaper and those old ways. It's through... Social media and those ways. We've got to change the way we communicate to our people and to our world. William Carey said, Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Well, we have a God sized vision before us. Changing that trajectory from decline to be on the incline. To see God accomplish great things in 1st Bastrop. In the next five years, 1st Bastrop desires to see hundreds of families in our community and church transformed by the gospel through the revitalization of our church and its ministries. Dear friends, it's time to get to work. Are you committed? Are you committed to the work before us? If you are committed, then begin by praying that God would bless the efforts of this church and that we would see this vision that He has given us come to fruition. Pray, pray, pray. And then commit to the church. Commit your time. Commit to just being here. You know, uh, Tom Rayner. Kind of figure this out, did the, the work on this and figured this out. But uh, 20 years ago, an active church member was considered, uh, someone who was considered to be an active church member was someone who came to church three times a week. Today, is someone who attends church three times a month. That's an active church member. Do you understand that, that if you have average attendance of, of 200, if you have an average attendance of 200 and half of those who come, the active church members, decide to uh, only come to church three times a month instead of four times a month, that drops your attendance by 12%. You go from 200 to 175 You know, in the time that I've been here, we have dropped from 165, 170, down to 120. And a lot of that's because our active church members decided to come three times a month instead of four times a month. If we just have our church members become dedicated to being here, if you'll just be here, it can have a a, a great effect on what we're trying to do here. What does it do when when people come into our church and and they look at all the empty pews here? When we have a a congregation that has, we're, we're 400, 350, 400 in membership, but yet we only have 120 sitting here. Some Sundays, it's barely over 100. Be here. Just be here. Quit coming occasionally. Four times a month. Five on on, on Sunday, on months that have five Sundays. Make it a point to be here. I don't know how you miss because I missed one week and I felt lost all week because I wasn't with my family. Be here. Show up. When you're not here, it hurts us. Commit your time to being here and engaging the church and the ministries of the church. And then commit your resources. Commit your resources. Whatever resources you have, whether it be money, whether it be your time, whether it be be vehicles, whatever, whatever it may be, commit your resources. God gave you those resources. Use them for His glory. Use them for His mission. Commit your resources. Church, be committed. Get to work. Let's do what God has set before us to do. Let's expect great things for God. Let us attempt great things for God. Now, I know today is a different message. It's all about vision because the church needs to be set on fire. But maybe you are here today and you don't know Jesus I don't want you to go away from here not having an opportunity to to know Him and hear the Gospel. Maybe you came here today and and you're looking at the world and you're suffering and, and you need hope in the world. You came looking for hope. Dear friend, you can know the transforming power of Jesus Christ if you trust in Him today. Christ came to this world. God's Son stepped out of heaven and he came to this world and he lived life for you an absolute obedience to the father's will and though he did nothing wrong he went to calvary's cross and he died on calvary's cross for your disobedience and your rebellion he received the punishment in your place so that you might have life in him and, dear friend, if you trust in Jesus today, He will change your life. He will absolutely transform your life. And He will give you eternal life in His kingdom if you'll only trust Him today. That's all there is to it. There's nothing to do but to trust in Jesus. Give your life to Him, and He'll radically change your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the transforming power of the Gospel. And we are trusting in that that power, Your power, to go out before us to accomplish the mission that You have given us. Oh Lord, we got big ambitions. They're ambitions that You have put in our heart. Oh Lord, let us get busy. Let us do the work that You have set before us. Lord, build in us that commitment that we need to engage our community and see this church grow. Not for this church's sake, but for Your kingdom's sake. Let us be faithful. And Lord, if there's any that do not know you today lord turn their eyes to see jesus this i pray in christ's name amen stand with us if you will